This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Hello, listeners. Uh, it's Erin Jones here. Welcome to the Beyond Zero Emissions radio show. Um, you're on 855 AM, Community Radio 3CR. Look, I'm really excited to bring you the show today. We're talking predominantly about the Sunshine Coast Solar Farm. So that is um, in Queensland, and um, the... Uh, Sunshine Coast Council has actually taken the initiative and built a 15 megawatt solar farm. It's just shy of 58,000 panels between Coolum Beach and Valdora. So it's really great. That's going to offset 100% of council's energy use. So that's all their council offices, depots, childcare centres, swimming pools, um, street lighting, performance spaces, you know, a whole raft of things, a whole raft of different um, energy demands that that council has. So it's it's a really interesting project and we're going to listen to a couple of different speakers tell us about how that um, has come to fruition. And I think this is a really important model for other, whether it be local governments or community initiatives, to just look at how they've achieved this. And um, as you'll see when we get into the speakers and some of the detail around what it's going to mean for that community, there's some really phenomenal savings over the course of the project for the um, ratepayers in that region. So we won't delay. Let's get into it. Um, we're going to first start off with talking to uh, someone who can give us a lot of detail on the project, Greg Laverty. So let's listen to what Greg has to say. Okay, welcome listeners. Um, today we're focusing on the Sunshine Coast Solar Farm. It's a really exciting development on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. And we've got on the line Greg Laverty, who's the Director of Economic Development and Major Projects. Welcome, Greg. G'day, Aaron. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks. Look, can you just start off with by giving a bit of a snapshot to our listeners um, of the project and, and set the scene? The solar farm that we are currently constructing, and I was out on site yesterday, and there's about 50,000 of the 58,000 solar panels that will be installed that are completed, so it's quite an impressive site. Um, so the solar farm, when completed, will uh, be a utility-scale solar farm, 15 megawatts at Valdora. Um, and as I mentioned, there'll be 58,000 panels that'll cover about 24 hectares of the site we've got there at Valdora. The um, solar farm will provide all of Council's energy needs. We are one of the largest overall governments in the country, and I guess um, from a leadership perspective, we thought it was important that uh, Council do something to live up to its vision of being Australia's most sustainable region. Mm, yeah, I think it's a, a really interesting project, and um, you know the action in this area is really coming from a local uh, local government perspective and a community perspective. You know, it's kind of a, a grassroots up as opposed to um, you know a federal government down. So I think it's great that that 
this is happening. So if we can just go back a little bit and go into the history and evolution of the idea, what was the philosophy and what were the policy drivers for getting this this project up, which I think, and we'll go into further as, as we chat, you know, it could be a real excellent model for other local governments. I think that's an important point, Erin, because it wasn't just an idea that we decided that we wanted a solar farm. It does go back to the range of policy positions of council, which date back to 2010. The first of those was the adoption by council of a climate change and peak oil strategy in 2010, and included in that strategy was a view where we wanted to investigate the viability of alternate energy sites. And then sitting underneath that, at the end of 2010, Council adopted an energy transition plan. I guess the direct link to this project is that um, that plan included um, an idea to facilitate large-scale renewable energy, and particularly in rural areas and uh, on some of the cane land ex-farms that uh, basically haven't been used since the Morton Sugar Mill closed down in 2003. So I guess they were the earliest policy drivers and since then Council adopted a regional economic development strategy in 2013 and the, there are seven high value industries identified in that strategy and one of those is the clean tech sector. So there are a range of policy positions um, that have underpinned the project. Um, and I guess one of the other things, in after those early policy positions in 2010, um, Council did commission a report from an external expert in relation to how best uh, to provide particularly solar power for Council's energy needs. And basically that report found that if we were to use rooftop solar, it would only address between 5 and 10% of our energy requirements. So those ones that have made sense, we actually have installed rooftop solar. So we've currently got uh, about 158 kilowatts installed across 24 buildings. But the balance of the 90 to 95% of our power needs will be met from the solar farm. And obviously the installation of the panels uh, on a solar farm has um, some pretty good economies of scale compared to rooftop solar. Yeah. So just to make it clear to our listeners, this is going to provide power to council for all your office buildings, depots, childcare centres, swimming pools, libraries, um, performance venues. Is, is that correct? Yes, all those sporting facilities, street lighting as well. So basically the, the energy generated by the solar farm will provide an offset for all of council's needs. And I guess that's one of the new, unique things about this project and why it works financially for us and works for us from a risk perspective because we're our own customer. Uh, we're always going to need electricity from someone. Um, and in the current environment of low interest rates, it's a great time to invest in some sustainable infrastructure like the solar farm. Yeah, and we'll get into the economics a little bit later because I think that's a really interesting part of it. So what, what's the community response been throughout the process of, of kind of from conception onwards? Is it, has it been well received generally? I guess if you go back to the policy positions starting in 2010, all of those strategies and policies, uh, including the economic development strategy in 2013, were all the subject of community consultation and there was widespread support for those policies. Um, there has been um, small pockets of opposition to the project um, since it was announced that we were going to proceed with it. Some of those include uh, nearby residents who were concerned about the potential glare 
from the solar farm, mm -hmm. but of course the panels are there designed to capture the sunlight, not reflect it. So through the planning approval process the council went through, there was um, an expert engaged to provide a report in relation to what amenity impacts it would have. And as I said, those panels are designed to capture the sunlight, not reflect it. Um, and it was found that the reflection and glare from the solar panels was going to be quite minimal. Yeah, and... I Look, I think it doesn't matter what you do, you know, there's always, it's very hard to keep 100% of people happy, but um, the broader effect is, is, is going to be hugely positive, I think. So, look, there's quite a bit of information on your website, and one of the things that certainly we're focusing on the, with the radio show at the moment is... Um, you know where I think a lot of action is happening, which is at this community level, local government level. Um, so as I said, I think this can be you know a wonderful model for others. But and there's quite a bit of information on the website, so I'd encourage people to have a look at that detail and and um, the business plan and, and sort of proposition. Um, the business case is is available on the website for people to have a look at. But for other communities or local governments, what would be your advice for getting a project like this from, from concept to completion? Well, I guess the key thing for us was that we uh, spent a lot of time analysing our electricity spend um, to the extent that we reviewed our electricity consumption at 30-minute intervals over a 10-year period. Um, during the same 10-year period, we looked at the energy prices and the weather conditions and then overlaid that across what we expect to the production to be from the solar farm. So I guess the thing is you need to understand what your currently electricity spend is um, and be realistic about what the benefits might be. And at the end of the day, and this, you know, one of the benefits from this project is that over the next 30 years, it's expected to save council $22 million. But from my perspective, if the project had have broke even financially, um, the sustainability and leadership that this project provided, uh, the local employment that it provided, uh, the catalyst that it may be for the local clean tech sector, I think council may well have proceeded with it on the fact that it would just break even. So be very clear about what the outcomes are likely to be, test it, ask questions. There are certainly parts of this project that local government in general or Sunshine Coast Council more specifically are not experts in. So along the way, we've sought um, expert advice from uh, renewable energy consultants, um, some uh, banking consultants in relation to the business case, uh, and it's also been checked by the Queensland Audit Office and Queensland Treasury Corp. So um, understand the best you can what your electricity requirements are and talk to experts along the way because uh, we've certainly had some very good advice along the way. Okay, excellent. Now, we've kind of touched on, on some of this, but and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that the project's been able to be established without any subsidies and predominantly leading to the fact of what you mentioned earlier, that council is the customer. Can you explain a bit more about you know, how those economics work and, and what, that's, what that's meant for, for the project? Yeah, just a couple of things. In the, the process we went through, so for a project of this size, Council went through two procurement processes. The first was to source someone to build the solar farm, and that resulted in Downer being successful and um, the $37 million um, tender 
from down before the construction of the solar farm was accepted. And then the second part we went through was the retail component. So traditionally, um, there is some risk for retailers when they lock in an electricity price, but because that risk effectively disappears because we're both producing and using electricity, we negotiated a pool price pass through arrangement with the retailer, um, which from the procurement process was diamond energy. So, you know, just in very general terms, what would normally happen is that when we sold the power generated back into the grid, uh, there would be a cut taken there, and when we brought it back, there'd be another cut. So with the pool price pass-through arrangement, that disappears, and therefore, uh, because there is much lower risk because we're both producing uh, and using the electricity, we've been able to negotiate a very good retail arrangement with Diamond Energy. Okay, great. And... From that, would you see there being any reason for other local governments to not follow this example? And, and probably from that as well, do you think the model could be improved? Because it seems like a bit uh, of a no-brainer. You know, there's, there's yeah, savings, yeah, it, there's, it ticks so many boxes. Yeah, it, it does. Um, and there have been quite a number of local governments who have either contacted us uh, or come and visit us to have a look at the solar farm to talk to us about what, what the way we put it together. Um, and I think particularly from the point that the uh, solar farm is commissioned, which we hope will be in July this year, I think once it's actually been proved successful, I would hope that there would be other local governments or even some of the government-owned corporations and other business units of other levels of government who would look at the project. And you're right, we did it without uh, any support. We put uh, a number of applications into ARENA. Uh, we were unsuccessful. That was... Um, a bit of a frustrating process, um, but at the end of the day, uh, the numbers do add up, and for those reasons, particularly, like I said, um, that we're our own customer, uh, it works financially. There are some other key things that need to happen. Um, obviously, we've had a good relationship and partnership with Energex, who are the distributor of electricity in our area, and the, one of the key things was that the parcel of land that we selected to build the solar farm, it needed to be on a location where the output from the solar farm could actually be put back into the grid. So we work with Energex uh, again early on in the process. The original plan was that the solar farm would be a 10 megawatt solar farm, but after the analysis of their grid, uh, Energex uh, come back and told us that they were able to accept a, a farm or the output from a farm of 15 megawatts. So we increased the, the, the farm size from 10 to 15 megawatts. Um, and again, Energex are getting close to completing the substation on site that will allow that connectivity into the grid. So again, uh, talking to people um, from different parts of the project that know more than council do, and in particular, a better place to accept some of the risks associated. So... Um, you know, the actual construction of the solar farm is something that council would never do, and that's why Downer is, you know, a very experienced construction firm was successful in winning the tender. Um, one of the other key parts is one of the things that people need to be careful of is the quality of the solar panels. So again, through the process, we ensured that we were going to get high quality um, solar panels that were backed up by guarantee. So at the end of the day, council 
has gone with panels produced by Trina, um, who are a tier one manufacturer. And uh, there are some rankings that are done by Bloomberg New Energy Finance. And basically they look at the bankability of uh, panels that are provided by uh, different firms and, and uh, I guess the sheer size of the requirement of 58,000 panels um, mm. made it difficult and you know at the end of the day those panels need to last at least 30 years mm. and there needs to be the appropriate warranties around the power output and other things so trying to have been um, consistently uh, at rank number one by Bloomberg and that's again an important part of the project where it's no good if the panels um degrade at yeah. a faster rate than we've estimated over the 30 years. And making that change from the 10 megawatt to 15 megawatt really improve the economics of the project? Yeah, it did. So mm-hmm. initially we thought that at 10 megawatts uh, over the 30 years it would probably produce about a $9 million positive benefit to council. Uh, that increased to $22 million when it went from 10 to 15 megs. And again, that's predominantly around the economies of scale uh, with the construction. And we, but we already had the land there. We didn't need to purchase any land. The site that we've, we're actually building the solar farm is around 52 hectares and we're using about half that. So we didn't need any additional land. And like I said, the economies of scale just meant that uh, the benefits from a financial perspective uh, were much better for council. And again, one of the other things is with that higher output, uh, the cost of electricity obviously is much higher during the day when it's very warm, particularly in southeast Queensland. Um, and the more energy that can be generated during, during those peak price periods uh, adds to the economics of the project. Yeah. So, I mean, just to throw an idea around from it, obviously you're saying that you're getting some interest from other local governments that are kind of feeling around to see if this is something for them. There's really, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here a little bit, but um, obviously for people that don't know um, the area, Sunshine Coast, you know, it's um, a mixture of coastal communities and hinterland villages, but there's that availability of land and there's that history of, of the sugar sugarcane land um, that in, in lots of ways has been sitting dormant for a number of years. So, so that, that land is kind of... Um, perfect for for redevelopment in another sense but for a city-based local government um obviously they they don't have the the open space that that you do um in the sunshine coast but really there's no reason particularly that they couldn't go through a process of purchasing land um that met the criteria in terms of access to the network um, and go through the same process, but that happened to not be within the bounds of their local government. I mean, they're, um, they're putting it into the grid and, and using the same amount. Would that be a fair assumption? Yeah, it would, and because at the end of the day, that's it. You know, it's not the energy from the solar farm doesn't go direct to all our facilities. No. It's about producing more or the, an equivalent amount of um, sustainable energy that will offset the actual consumption that we need. So, again, it doesn't need to be located in our council area. And obviously, the, the size of Sunshine Coast Council being about the fifth largest local government in the country. That is an advantage as well as the um, availability of land. Mm. But there's nothing stopping some smaller councils uh, from joining together, identifying a parcel of land, and, and then putting arrangements in place with a retailer so that everyone gets the benefit of it, even though it's not um, 
being delivered within their city boundaries. Mm. Now, obviously, one of the things for us is that uh, there was employment from this at a local level. Mm. Uh, at the peak, there were probably 100 people on site, uh, but on average over the period of the construction, there's been about 60 jobs that have been created um, on, a, on FT, FTE basis. So mm -hmm. uh, the employment here um, has been important, but again, the most important thing is about the sustainability and the production of energy that offsets the requirements. So no, no reason why a council couldn't do something where the farm is outside their geographic boundary. And again, potentially even better, nothing uh, stopping a number of councils from getting together um, and sharing some of the costs and the benefits that will flow from the solar farm as well. Sunshine Coast could, um, you know, really live up to its name and uh, become a centre for a number of these, which would be exciting because there's, like you say, you know, the job flow on and the economic development. We've just last week had the um, Community Energy Congress in, here in Victoria and... and um, that was one of the big themes that came out from not only the international speakers but a number of the local ones is that, you know, communities understanding the economic development that developing different models of community energy can have and, and you know, the jobs and the, um, you know, whether it's installers or the different componentry that's involved, you know, it's, it's a real economic driver. It is, and one of the, so the first stage of the project, as I said, we've got 52 hectares of which we're utilising 24 for the actual uh, solar panels. Stage two of the project relates to the construction of a facility on site uh, that might have a research, education, uh, potentially even uh, a tourist angle to it. And there are a number of um, small innovative companies on the Sunshine Coast who are in the clean tech sector, whether it happens to be to do with batteries uh, related to solar farms or energy more broadly. And in that next stage, we think there's an opportunity there to again showcase the solar farm because again, I was on site yesterday, uh, and it's a pretty spectacular sight to see uh, in a shed of 50,000 solar panels there. And if people are actually able to go and have a look at it, understand how it works, uh, it might be an opportunity for some of those small businesses to, to uh, demonstrate their wares. And like I said, uh, I suspect that people might be very interested in going and have a look uh, at that facility. So that's stage two of the project. Okay. Well, look, that's probably a good place for us to stop. But look, I congratulate Council on um, completing this project. I think it's going to be a real model for um, other local governments and other organisations to look at, and uh, well done. And I, I look forward to the opening in July. I might even be in Queensland at that time, so I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it. So thanks very much for joining us, Greg. Thanks very much, Erin. Listeners, today on the line we've got Mayor Mark Jamison from the Sunshine Coast. Welcome, Mark. Hello, Erin, and uh, hello to all your listeners. Look, first of all, I just want to say, um, you know, a really big congratulations on the Sunshine Coast Solar Farm. I think it's a really exciting project for the coast, and we're spending the uh, whole program today focused on this project because I think it's a really wonderful model for other uh, local governments or organisations potentially to, to emulate. So well done for that. Thank you. I'm sure our uh, citizens and ratepayers will appreciate your uh, great confidence. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's a wonderful thing, and I hope they, you know, appreciate, um, you know, exactly what value they're getting out of it. So it's going to be interesting to see as as it rolls out. Um, uh, well, and I can answer that by saying that 
We have a lot of major projects going on on the Sunshine Coast at the moment, from a, a $2 billion hospital facility, uh, a new international airport, a, a greenfield city centre development, all of which uh, have required much more significant investments than the solar farm. But I'm delighted to say that our citizens get most excited about the solar farm because they really do see it as uh, making a contribution to our environment, uh, you know, a strong focus on renewable energy. Uh, and they're, they're very, very pleased about it. Yeah, that's great. So, look, I mean, you know, Council's got a pretty ambitious um, vision to be the most sustainable region in Australia. Um, the solar farms are a real concrete example, I think, of um, that being lived out. Well, it is. Um, sustainability is important on an economic front, on an environmental front, and obviously on a community front. And uh, uh, we are the Sunshine Coast. Uh, we're, you know, in a, live in a beautiful uh, geographic area, a lovely climatic area, uh, and amongst other things, a uh, generating an offset for all of the energy that council uses um, really is a very strong reinforcement of that Sunshine Coast brand. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's uh, truly living up to the name, isn't it, with this project? Well, it is, but it's also economically, we'll, we'll save our ratepayers conservatively around $22 million over the life of the project, which is 30 years. Uh, it'll cost us up front about $50 million to build it. Uh, but once you know, all, once all those all those costs are covered over the thirty years, we'll save our ratepayers about twenty two million. Uh, and we've got the most up to date technology in terms of the panels in place, and they may may well last longer than that, which will be further upside for this community. So, I, I think it's a it's a good example. Um, there's already a lot of household solar in place on the Sunshine Coast. Um, clearly, this utility scale commercial facility can bring uh, that power to market far more efficiently uh, and it's my hope that we can demonstrate to our citizens that this is a really great investment for them to have or for council to have made on their behalf. Yeah. So have you found during the project, has there been broad community and political support for this project? Uh, look, I think when you're doing anything new, you're going to get uh, uh, points of view covering all spectrums. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, whenever you're doing something new, there are always doubters, there are always those who uh, think the status quo should remain. And I think that's where councils have got to be quite bold in their thinking and be prepared to take on some big challenges for the greater good. Um, you know, there were all sorts of uh, opponents initially, but uh, I've got to say they've tended to dissipate as we approach the sort of final weeks of the installation. Um, and I've no doubt at all into the future, you know, the people of Sunshine Coast will see this uh, utility-scale solar farm as a, a great investment on their behalf. Yeah. So, so, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, Council has shown a leadership role in developing this project. But how do you think others can be encouraged to, to go down the same road? Well, I think there'll be a lot of councils, and I know there already are a lot of councils, looking at what we're doing here um, as to whether they could do it as well. And I think one of the key things is about the scalability. I mean, we are a large council. We're, in fact, the fifth largest council in Australia. Mm. Um, uh, we have a population of around 300,000 people. Um, so having that sort of scale does give you the opportunity. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of places around Queensland that wouldn't have the scale from a population point of view. Uh, that makes it difficult. But certainly those councils that uh, can fund, can invest themselves and uh, 
generate these sort of outcomes, I'd certainly encourage them. And, and, and as I say, there's a number of them who have already been in contact with us about how they might do that. Yeah. Look, I had an interesting discussion um, with uh, your director of, of major projects, Greg Levati, about this. Yes. And one of the things I was just kind of thinking out loud, um, which effectively... You know, the Sunshine Coast could really become a centre for renewable energy because there's nothing stopping a council maybe that doesn't have the same um, land mass or another organisation that has a high energy use but doesn't necessarily have land mass replicating this project within the bounds of the um, you know the Sunshine Coast geographical area, for example, um, because I think what people sometimes um, may or may not appreciate is the energy you're generating is not necessarily the, the direct energy that you're using. I mean, it just goes into the system. That's right. It goes into the grid, and as I say, for us, it's an offset for all of our energy use. But if you can... Uh, collaborate with you know a number of parties to produce um, uh, enough demand uh, and at a competitive price, then you know you can gather a market you know in a very different way. Yeah, and I uh, think that's pretty exciting. The fact that um, you know this model could be done and could become you know a, a feature of the Sunshine Coast economy potentially, um, but for for areas that are outside that area. Well, it, it can be, and in fact, in, uh, I also have the role as the president of the local government association of Queensland, and uh, we have 77 councils throughout Queensland, uh, and a number of them in their areas have uh, major solar projects on their books. They're invariably done through the private sector, sometimes with federal government support. But I am conscious of some very interesting projects that our association is doing with councils to the far north and far west. I'm talking from uh, um, Normanton down through um, Winton, Longreach, Quilby and Thargaminda. And they're all communities that sit above the Great Artesian Basin and have a very uh, significant opportunity to develop their energy from the hot water mm-hmm. that effectively uh, comes from the, uh, the Great Artesian Basin. So, um, you know, we have a number of geothermal projects underway and some of those will be geothermal and solar with a view to making those communities completely sustainable into the future. Mm, yeah, well, that's, it's exciting to see that. I think um, we're actually doing a little bit of a focus on the radio show going forward at the moment because so much of the activity in this field is coming from a community and or local government level. I, I think it's really exciting what's happening at, at that level. Well, we, we feel quite proud of the fact that um, uh, we will be one of the first, certainly first large local government to essentially be providing all of its own energy um, uh, through renewable sources um, toward the middle of this year. And that, that sort of puts us you know, well ahead of what's going on at a state and federal level generally. Uh, I appreciate there's a lot of... Um, the country's wealth tied up in assets uh, that supply energy. Um, so we've got to be careful that we um, uh, carefully in- introduce new techno- technologies in a way that sort of work hand in hand with the facilities that are available. Uh, but certainly not on the Sunshine Coast, you know, we've uh, we've uh, gone through all the consultation, we've dealt with all the doubters. We've been very committed about providing uh, what we see as an essential uh, energy provider in the future. Uh, and, you know, our region will certainly enjoy the benefit of that notoriety, I'm sure. Yeah, look, 
So, listeners, we're listening to Mayor Mark Jamison from the Sunshine Coast Council in Queensland, and they are, um, it's almost complete, probably be complete in the next couple of months, have constructed the Sunshine Coast Solar Farm. There's quite a bit of information on the website that you can look up. It's uh, just shy of 58,000 panels, or just over, I can't remember just exactly. Just under. Just right, under. Just under, on about 24 hectares uh, of a 50-hectare of a site. Uh, that will have around about 36,000 trees planted in a, in a 10 metre wide by 470 metre long green buffer that'll um, uh, ensure the, the solar farm isn't sort of uh, dominating any of its neighbours um, and uh, you know it really is a, uh, an outstanding project, 15 megawatts of energy um, that uh, um, certainly does reinforce this region as uh, a, a region focused on sustainability. Yeah, and just you know, so people understand that that's offsetting all of the council offices, all of the depots, the libraries, childcare centres, um, entertainment, um, you know, theatres, aquatic centres. Theatres, a certain amount of street lighting. I mean, there's a it, it is a significant amount of energy that'll be offset, um, and ultimately, uh, as I say, save our ratepayers around about twenty two million dollars. Yeah, no, I think it's um, a really exciting project, and I'm sure a lot of other organisations are following with great interest. So, look, just to finish up. What advice would you give to other community leaders that, that may be hearing this and wanting to initiate a project on a similar nature? Um, well, I think they uh, need to think about the fundamentals of is there a market? Uh, can they produce energy uh, that will be attractive to either themselves and or um, other significant businesses in and around the region uh, that can underpin uh, the uh, the uh, investment in a solar farm. And I think um, that was the, kind of a pretty key uh, part of this whole project, isn't it, that you already have the customer, effectively. You are the right. customer, and that, that takes out a lot of risk because a lot of people that are looking at getting renewable energy projects off the ground, it's kind of knowing who that end customer is going to be. But in, in this example, um, you, you kind of cut out the middleman because you are the customer as well as the, the generator, effectively. That's right, exactly. Yeah. So Sorry, I, I interrupted you as you, <laughs> you were talking about other, other community leaders. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'd, I'd encourage other leaders. I mean, I think our communities are looking for um, initiatives that enhance our environment, initiatives that uh, bring renewable energy to the fore. Um, so, as I say, our residents here on the Sunshine Coast, uh, this is the project that they get most excited about. As I said, it's not the most expensive or the biggest investment, but it is the one that uh, people, I, I guess, see as being the most tangible in terms of the contribution they're making uh, via their council uh, to um, you know, maintain or, or improve our, our environment. And clearly, we, whilst we have a focus on a number of key industries, one of those is the clean technology sector. And we see that as being um, really enhanced by our initiative. The, the solar farm becomes a catalyst, if you like, for investment in, in clean tech industries. And one of the, well, a couple of those for us certainly are the development of a smart city. And as I said, we've got a very unique opportunity to build on a 53 hectare site geographically right in the centre of town, right in the centre of Marucci door that up until this point has been a golf course, uh, a great site on which to build a greenfield smart city. 
um, and that then will utilise uh, will capitalise on a whole lot of uh, uh, opportunities around internet gateways, international internet gateways, uh, smart street lighting, um, and a whole lot of other applications that can be. I guess embedded into a, um, a, a light pole, as most people will recognise, is uh, provides light and not much else. Well, there's a whole lot of opportunities with new technology to uh, enhance the performance of those dumb poles and make them very intelligent poles. Mm, okay, well, that might be something we can talk about down the track uh, because it, it's like you say, it's a pretty unique ability for a, a greenfields city site to happen. Um, you know, be planned and, and deliberately planned from the outset. There's not actually many that would have that opportunity. Very few, uh, very few in an Australian sense. And, and one of the interesting things that we've uh, uh, installed or will be installing into that new greenfield site is a, an underground automated waste collection system. That, that essentially means, you know, people don't need to uh, worry about when bin night is. It, it, it's effectively every night. Um, uh, but we don't have trucks driving around banging uh, trash cans in the morning picking them up uh, and all of that waste is separated into organic um, recycling and general waste streams and uh, deposited in the appropriate location so that, that's a pretty exciting thing as well that you know again is a demonstration of our council's forward thinking about um, sort of ensuring our environment continues to be uh, the reason why people want to live here. Yeah, well, that's great. Beyond Zero Emissions is working with um, a few or well, a number of other councils about um, transitioning all the different sectors, um, you know, transport, buildings, um, land use, etc., to a um, 100% um, zero carbon sort of future. So um, it'll be exciting to see what's coming out. We're doing quite a bit of work um, with Byron Bay at the moment, um, setting some... Uh, getting some ground lines of where things are and then developing some transition plans. So it's exciting to see that Sunshine well, Coast is taking that yeah. initiative. Well, I'd certainly encourage that. I think uh, if, if I had a message to your listeners, it is about demonstrating to all levels of government that you want to see um, appropriate investment. We, we, we sometimes spend too much time you know, propping up ailing industries mm. that are effectively on the way out rather than focusing on new opportunities for the future and recognising that you do need to transition and there, you know, often is some pain on the way past. Um, but, you know, we, we owe it to future generations to get our decisions right uh, because if we don't, then they're left uh, uh, holding the bag, so to speak. So. I, I really, you know, do encourage our communities and their community leaders to, um, you know, consult, uh, develop a plan, but then importantly stick to it and don't be diverted by the naysayers who inevitably, um, you know, disappear when the ribbons are cut. Yeah. Well, look, I really appreciate your time today. I know you're you're busy in, uh, I think it's budget meetings at the moment, so I really appreciate your time. Um, and again, congratulate you on the project. I think it's a great example of uh, how renewable energy can happen on a utility scale, and um, I hope that we generate a lot more interest um, and thought for other local governments around the country about how they may be able to take some... Uh, some knowledge and wisdom from what um, is being done on the Sunshine Coast and, and put it into place locally. So we, we thank you and um, appreciate your time today, Mark. It's my pleasure and I'm happy to have uh, been able to assist and set a, set a good example for others to follow. So all the best. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Erin.
You're listening to 3CR Radio. I'm Tash Sultana and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. So listeners, um, I hope you are enjoying our episode today. We're talking um, about uh, predominantly up until this phase the Sunshine Coast Solar Farm and you just heard then from Mayor Mark Jamison. Um, we're going to change tact a little bit um, and talk to Steve Harris, who's the CEO of Innova Energy. Um, they um, are a retailer of... Um, Renewable, well, not just renewable energy, but they're an energy retailer, but a kind of a, a new model of energy retailer, you could say, who's uh, owned by um, by members of the community, and um, they're reasonably new, about uh, I think eight months old, and they're going to talk about what their model is and how they may be able to assist communities trying to get their own renewable energy model off the ground. So let's have a chat with Steve. Okay, listeners, I'd like to introduce you to our next guest, who's Steve Harris, and he is the CEO of Innova Community Energy. Welcome, Steve. All right, thank you. Now, um, for our listeners that may not be aware, can you just give us a little bit of an overview and a, a background on um, Innova and how it came into being? Mm. Innova um, is, is, first of all, based in northern New South Wales on the uh, the northern, what we term as the Northern Rivers region. So uh, it, it's around, centred around Byron Bay, which most people would be aware of and runs up to the Queensland border. Um, we came about because of local community concern about uh, climate change in particular and the role of energy uh, that plays uh, in, in the climate change. And a third of Australia's greenhouse gas emissions come from burning of fossil fuels to, to generate electricity. It's um, one of the easiest things to tackle with, uh, with renewable energy now to, uh, to help offset those emissions. So the local community was uh, concerned about uh, lack of government support and direction um, around uh, what was going on, around renewable energy targets and so forth, and, and the development of renewable energy. We, as a, uh, an organisation, uh, got together and decided, well, look, if the, if the governments aren't going to give a, a lead on this, maybe it's time for the community to, to take uh, over and, and provide... Um, uh, uh, see what they can do. So we did a uh, sat down, looked at the the whole issue around renewable energy, what was needed to support the development of renewable energy, and quickly came to the conclusion that if you're going to generate your own electricity uh, or encourage local renewable generation, you really do need a friendly retailer to that's going to purchase that energy from you to enter into a market contract. We had some discussions with some of the uh, retailers in Australia and discovered that they weren't really that interested in supporting uh, local uh, renewable energy, it was really too small or too hard for them or they just didn't have an interest. So we decided, well, look, if they're not going to uh, support it, maybe it's time uh, 
uh, we uh, we became a retailer ourselves. That gave us that ability to to operate in the market. We did the business plan and determined that yes, under certain certain conditions, providing we could raise enough capital, it was viable for a community to um, uh, run, uh, start up, and run its own. Uh, to be its own retailer. Um, we subsequently went out and raised uh, $4 million in capital from the local community and commenced operations in uh, June uh, of 2016. That um, we've been now running for, for eight months. We've signed up over 2,000 customers in the local region and, uh, and going quite well. Oh, excellent. I mean, you know, that saying that um, a lot of this renewable energy, it's really about the democratisation of energy, isn't it? And having, um, you know, the customers effectively owning the retailer is, um, is a pretty important part of that. That's right. And look, the big difference for us is we didn't want to be just another retailer. There's 24 other retailers that service customers in in this region. Just being another retailer for the sake of being a retailer wasn't what we're all about. It, It was about the local community owning us and determining what they wanted out of a retailer rather than as most retailers are telling the customers what they will get uh, we've turned it on its head and, and, and really it's the community telling us what they want a retailer to do and how they want to support it so we're really a social enterprise so 50% of our profits go back to the uh, to the local community we employ people locally um, and we estimate that uh, in our region there's about 150,000 customers if those customers switched across to Anova that would be $80 million a year in local profits and operating expenses that would stay within the local community. Mm, that's a big big amount, isn't it? It's an enormous amount for this particular region. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, what we've been... Um, we've been talking to the Sunshine Coast uh, Council today about the solar farm that they've established, which is a, a fairly significant project. It's just under 58,000 panels. 15 megawatt solar farm and it's actually going to offset 100% of council's energy use. So, you know, their offices, depots, childcare centres, libraries, aquatic centres, street lighting. So it's going to make a real difference to that community to the tune of $22 million savings for ratepayers over the next um, 30 years. So I think that's a, a really important thing. But and we're kind of looking at it as a bit of a model, um, but for our listeners out there that may either be a leader in local government or, or informally just a, a community leader, what should they be thinking about? You know, they want to get into into um, renewable and local energy generation, um, whatever way that that looks, whether it's wind or solar or, or other various technologies. What should they be thinking about when they start to kind of have those conversations with the with the retailer? Yes, look, it, it's assuming, of course, they've made that decision um, that they want to go 100% renewable, and that that's an admirable uh, decision. Um, I was going to say, up until um, recently, uh, renewable energy does cost a little more than the fossil fuel energy we get through the grid, but. In more recent times, in the last few months, the price of of fossil fuel energy has gone up dramatically. And these days, you can actually put in renewable energy for much the same price as you can put 
uh, buying energy from the grid, providing you can get a retailer that's prepared to support you. Now, the way the Sunshine Coast uh, have done it is to actually invest in their own wind farms, uh, sorry, solar farms, so they're underwriting it themselves, um, and they're asking a, a, a retailer. We don't operate in Queensland ourselves, so they're asking another retailer to actually buy that energy from that uh, solar farm um, and sell it back to them at the various sites where they want to operate. It's, it's, a, it's a model that's becoming known as, as, as local trading. Um, it's a new, relatively new concept and a lot of people are still trying to get their heads around how it would actually work. But um, certainly looking at the, uh, the business case for the, uh, the Sunshine Coast, uh, as you say, $22 million savings over the life of the project, it's, uh, to me it's starting to become a, a no-brainer uh, and, and that's what other councils uh, should, be, should be looking at. So it's, it's sitting down doing that business case, fully understanding the economics and then um, starting to engage at a fairly early process with a friendly retailer that's prepared to support them in that process. Yeah, and I think um, having spoken to, to the Mayor and um, the Project uh, Director, it really, even if it hadn't made that saving of the $22 million, if it had broken even for them, he said, you know, they probably would have proceeded because it ticked a lot of other boxes that they have as a, as a local government um, in terms of, of, of their objectives around sustainability, etc. So, you know, it's just interesting, and this is why we particularly wanted to, to kind of look at that project and the fact that um, where they are, the generator and effectively the customer, it took out a lot of risk for, for them and, and presumably, you know, for the retailer. Um, but uh, it also kind of makes you think, well, if they can make that work, um, and it, look, it's been a long process for them. It hasn't been something that's happened overnight um, with the land acquisition and the contracting and, and all the rest of it that goes into a project of this scale. Um, but you kind of look at it and go... Why isn't every local government doing this? Mm. It's, um, I think it's, a, it's quite an interesting proposition. Yes. Um, look, there, there isn't a reason why um, uh, any local government couldn't do it. I mean, in this case, the, the, uh, the solar farm is not on the, the uh, right next door to the council offices. And as you say, there are many different sites that are taking energy from the solar farm. We have an electricity grid that manages uh, taking energy from one point and delivering it to another. Um, so, you know, councils, even in the build-up city where they may not have uh, the suitable land, can go to another site mm. in, the, in their suburbs, in, in the outer uh, rural areas and perhaps acquire land and, and, and build it that way. And I suspect that uh, looking at the way energy prices have skyrocketed over the last last uh, three, uh, three months or so, that if they actually did their business plan again, I suspect those savings are going to be much greater than $22 million. Well, and this is the thing, isn't it? It really takes the um, the guesswork out of it. Um, now that effectively, you know, they've kind of locked in their own generation, and uh, I don't know all the intricacies of um, you know the pricing that they've developed with their retailer. But um, you know, as you say, 
you know, there's as prices um, do go up potentially. Um, they've already worked out what their savings is on uh, on that um, historical data, so they might even be due for, for more savings than that. Now, Steve, you were mentioning earlier that um, you're obviously in the Northern Rivers area and Byron Bay is probably the most well-known township in that region. I know that Byron Council is doing a lot of work and um, you've been... Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the work that you've been having discussions with them about? Mm, Byron Council are, are, are very progressive um, in that they're looking at um, a zero emissions uh, target for for the uh, whole shire, and that's not just about energy; it's about uh, agriculture and and transport and so on. Buildings, so and that's actually mm. work that. Um, um, the Beyond Zero Emissions is working with partnering with them to assist in that process. So we're um, well aware of that, and it's it's a great initiative that they've decided to take that on. Yes, yes, so that that's great. And as part of that process, they've been um, um, very supportive of of Anova right from the beginning in trying to make sure that we're successful, and uh, and even to the point of um, we want to develop our own community-owned renewable energy project so along the same line as what the uh, Sunshine Coast is doing it doing but for the local community for individuals homes and uh, so forth now the council have actually offered us or in the process of having discussions with us about providing land available on a disused site uh, near their sewage treatment works for us to build a uh, our own uh, solar farm have the local community invest in it along the same line as the uh, sunshine coast does but on a much smaller scale and they would then um, effectively buy that energy uh, from that solar farm and have it delivered to their home. So again, locking down a, uh, a known price for, for the uh, for years to come. So it's, it's with, certainly with council support uh, and helping the local community uh, to achieve what it wants to do. They, they've been uh, fantastic. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, there's kind of all sorts of different models, isn't there? I mean, obviously the Sunshine Coast one is where the the council is, is the direct owner and, and the, you know, effectively the flow on from that is the citizens. Um, and the Byron Bay model more that that's, um, it's kind of the community ownership directly via individuals. Yes, it's community ownership via individuals for the individual homes, their own individual homes, as opposed to the energy going to the council offices. It's not to say that the council wouldn't want to do the same uh, thing um, along similar lines as to uh, the Sunshine Coast. I mean, they're not there at this stage, but uh, knowing how progressive they are, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they decide to, to go down that path themselves. Yeah, okay. Well, that's interesting. To, it's good to hear that there's um, you know, this happening at, in all different um, ways in, in um, a number of places, and we hope that um, listeners uh, listening to this program can uh, get some inspiration from that and either be lobbying their own um, local government to get on the um, the path towards this or uh, be taking initiatives themselves to make that happen. So, well, look, we really appreciate your time today, Steve. Thank you very much. And um, it's uh, great to see that Innova Energy is um, continuing to grow and develop and you've only been going for such a relatively short period of time, but there's such a strong uh, community support. I'm, I'm sure it all will keep going with uh, more and more customers. 
Yes, I'm sure it will. And uh, look, we we hope to be um, able to uh, do business in Victoria in the, in the not too distant future. So any uh, any community groups that want to uh, have discussions with us about uh, us providing support to them, we're more than welcome to to help them. Yeah, and I think that's an important point and um, certainly when, when your um, Chair Alison Crook spoke at the uh, Energy Conference Congress here, Community Energy Congress, a couple of weeks ago in, in Melbourne, um, was talking about the fact that um, Innova and some other retailers actually are really thinking of themselves quite differently to the traditional retailing model and really want to assist communities in this transition. That's correct. Look, our model isn't something we want to to uh, keep to ourselves. We want to make sure other communities have access to it and uh, can benefit it. It, it, it. This 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 issue that we're dealing with is not unique to to Byron Bay or the Northern Rivers. It's something that uh, the whole of Australia and, for that matter, the world needs to be tackling. So we want to make sure that as many people have access to this model and can actively uh, take part in uh, in a renewable. Uh, a generation revolution. Great. All right. We appreciate your time, Steve, and um, we look forward to um, new developments that come out of Innova Energy. Excellent. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. So, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our show tonight um, all around uh, different um, local government and uh, community energy. Um, we uh, would like to thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the newsletter on the Beyond Zero Emissions website. The next show coming up will be Save Albert Park. So we look forward to talking with you next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero emissions economy. As climate change action becomes an emergency, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, zero emissions exports and industry, zero emissions transport, zero emissions buildings and zero emissions land use. Podcasts of our shows contain a who's who of community action and climate solutions. They're all available on the web at bze.org.au. We'd love your ideas for this show, so contact us at radioteam at bze.org.au or even write to us, care of Radio 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, Victoria. You can make that attention BZE Radio.